Welcome to Conversations on Cub Creek, a podcast situated in the hollows along Cub Creek, west of Nashville, Tennessee. Good conversation with smart, passionate, interesting people, and great music, some good beer, and some good food. Thanks for spending your time with us here on the creek. Enjoy. Tonight's episode, Climbing to a New Life, features the husband and wife team of Drew and Sarah Holsey. They are a newly married couple, but share an obsession beyond one for each other. They have a climbing gym in their garage, and an old van they converted for camping named Fanny the Vanny. They have an influential Instagram account all about rock climbing, and a growing podcast focused on the outdoors. Their journey into the climbing and outdoor world is unique, one part weight loss, one part wilderness passion, and one part fierce advocacy for body positivity and changing the narrative about what an outdoor person should look like. I think you'll be inspired by this conversation. So let's get started. Sarah and Drew Halsey are with me tonight. Welcome to the creek. Drew, you and I were supposed to be in Arkansas this week as we speak. That's my fault. (laughs) We were supposed to be in the woods of Arkansas <laughs> hunting down the latest Bigfoot um, sightings. Yeah, you're supposed to show me around the woods Which, of Arkansas. Which, by the way, folks, I Googled it, and there was a recent sighting <laughs> of Bigfoot in Arkansas. So Drew and I were going to go down and uh, scare it up, but uh, I fouled up the weekend. So we'll have to redo that. <laughs> hey, it, it'll be fine. It'll be good. But I'm happy you guys are here uh, to talk all about your pretty incredible story and uh, outdoor journey. So you're a married couple with a climbing gym in your garage, <laughs> an old van converted for camping. <laughs> yep. Yep. And an Instagram about rock climbing, a podcast all about the outdoors, and uh, we'll be talking about, of course, all that in the next hour. But let me start with this question. So looking back two or three years ago, did you ever think your lives would be defined by this mutual obsession with the outdoors? I Was that on your radar at all? We've kind of talked about this a little bit recently. I don't know how recent it's been a time warp since yeah. COVID started. So yeah, for sure. um, looking back to, we've been dating and now together for four years. Um, and when did you get married? In 2018. <laughs> 2018. Okay. Gotcha. I, I had like, to think what, about that. What one. year? <laughs> it, what I didn't year ask you, Drew, because yeah, yeah, I didn't want to set ask. you up. <laughs> yeah. Good, good idea. <laughs> yeah. So we've been married since 2018, dating since September of 2016. Okay. We, are you going to go with your journey or me? It doesn't matter. Uh, well, basically what I want to know, first of all, though, though, like if we go back to maybe uh, before you met or in that first year, I mean, did you think that the outdoors would have the um, kind of place in your mm. lives that it does? Together? I don't think so. We registered for a tent for our uh, for our wedding registry. Yeah. So we were hopeful that we would actually go use it. And it took us a year to use it. And it took us a year to use it, so it just kind of sat around for a year. So you got that as a wedding gift and went, hmm. It was hopeful thinking, like, we might go outside. I was also (laughs) in grad school when we got married. So timing-wise, we didn't have much freedom. I had class on Saturdays and internship. and I I was working in the hospital at the time, so I was working that second shift. and So it never really lent itself to being used, but... 
our first, our one year wedding anniversary, we went camping at Mammoth National Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had, like, looking back, the gear that we have now, if we had had that, (laughs) then it would have been a much different experience. Um, Yeah, it was at about that time, it was, uh, when was that? Or one year. Yeah, see, see, I still don't know. I was trying to keep you from getting (laughs) into trouble, and you just went there yourself. Yes. April of 2019. That's about the time we started uh, climbing and stuff, so we were becoming more aware of national parks. Because a lot of climbing is climbing in national parks and, like, Yosemite. Do you um, think you would have, though, kind of found this drive for wilderness and outdoor sports uh, without each other? Or do you think that meeting... And being a couple in it kind of brought it about. For me, I feel like it would have. Um, you would have naturally gone that way. Yeah. I, so I like I attempted to like camp in my backyard a couple of times, even as an adult. <laughs> like it was in me mm-hmm. to do that. And I was a little bit of an outdoorsman with like fishing and stuff, but not to the level that I got now. But I don't think I would be. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have a partner to go do this stuff with. Yeah. yeah. In college, especially towards the end of my, um, college years I had some death in the families and stressful times and so I would go to a local preserve in Birmingham by myself and just go hiking so there was already this sense of um, wilderness or outdoors brings me some grounding and some peace with you. yeah and yeah. looking back even though I have my bachelor's in psychology mindfulness was never taught to me in school mm. Um, I learned that in, through my grad program, but that looking back, that's what I was seeking is just being able to tune out what was going on around me, and just focus on the present moment. And so my college had this great outdoors program and had greatly reduced prices for uh, students right. for trips and gear. Yeah. And gear. And so I would sign up for a weekend for 60 bucks and have all of my gear that I needed for the weekend. All I had to bring was food and they took me to these places. Um, so I did a couple trips through them and got to know some more people who I wouldn't have met. Um, so there's always this, like I never made it a priority like I do now, but there was always this like going back to the outdoors. You guys had this kind of, uh, mutual journey, but you began it kind of separate. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about, uh, maybe we can get there in a moment, but I want to talk a little bit eventually about being a couple in the outdoors because it is its own thing. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, it. I think the Tennessee um, Canoe Association won't allow husband and wife or couples to like <laughs> even train together. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, because they've learned <laughs> that, that it's just—it's a, a thing, you know. <laughs> it would be a lot of arguing, yeah. Well, Sarah, you were first introdu- introduced to the outdoors, I think, about a decade ago when your mom got into backpacking, mm-hmm. and you just kind of uh, tagged along. I think it sounded like initially. Yeah, she, tell us a little bit about that. She went on this trip um, with another woman that we knew, and I was like, "Man, that's." So cool. You're going What did you find cool about it kind of off axis and seeing your mom do that? Um, So my mom is one of the strongest people that I know and always learned um, household chores and skills from her. Like I know how to put up a light fixture because of her and know how to switch um, light switches. Very self-sufficient, can do it. 
Exactly. And then she says, okay, I'm going to go backpack in the woods. Now, did that come out of the blue for her? Was that just like a whim or? Well, we had a family friend who was a backpacker and would go on multiple trips a year. And she went with her one time. And um, beforehand, it was saying, hey, you should come. You would really enjoy this. You like hiking. You like being outdoors. Let's try this. Um, So she went with her and. My first question was, did you go or you I just, did not, you just heard about her prepping for it. And yeah. I was there when she was weighing her backpack the night before, right. like packing it right. Our friend came over and my first thought was, where do you poop? In well, that's outdoors. an important, <laughs> absolutely. That's the first so thought. I was Let's like, get what, that out of the way right yeah, now. How do we do this? How are you going to eat? What if you come across a bear? <laughs> like what are all these different scenarios? And how old were you at that point? I was, I believe, eighth grade or a freshman. Okay. Um, so 14, 15, around there. And so then, your mom, between the teenage girl and the mom, mom was the adventurous one at that point. Yeah. So I would, it sounds like I would go on hikes with her because yeah. she was like, let's go visit this new place. And so I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it, but I also wasn't the one initiating it of like, let's go do this. So after she did that, I was, my next question was, when do I get to go? <laughs> like, when's my turn? So I started going with um, the same friend and some of her family members. And um, Do you remember what it was about her affect or her stories, maybe even especially after the first backpacking trip, that made you go, man, I want a piece of that? So my mom has always enjoyed photography, um, and she came back with some of these amazing pictures that – of flowers that I'd never seen of the like views from the mountains that I had never seen. Like, I want to go see those too. Right. Cause there's something that. about the way natural areas look once you've spent an hour getting into it or past the parking lot view. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you were talking about in those pictures? That yeah. Kind of uh, I've been to insider's Ga- view. Yeah. I'd been to Gatlinburg, but this was not like, yeah. The view of Gatlinburg. This was just raw nature. Um, and I believe, I might be incorrect, but I believe her first trip was to Roan Mountain. Um, Not the easiest first trip backpacking-wise no. ever. And just gorgeous views. Of course. Um, so my first trip with them was to Frozen Head, um, which was a really hard hike in. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a so lot of straight up, if I remember correctly. Straight up and a lot of switchbacks. Um, there is a famous, and now I'm going to forget the name of it, but there is a famous race once mm-hmm. a year on Frozen Head. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> that is the most crazy um, route, and it's become almost this like uh, famous thing that you at least want to show up for. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but Frozen Head also has a big fire tower up at the top of the mountain, I yeah. remember. Yeah. Where a lot of people would camp. Did you guys ever camp in the fire tower? We camped at the campsite just below okay. the fire tower. So we would walk up to it. Um, our you didn't crawl there. under the chain. <laughs> mm, I don't know that there was a chain there. There was not the a time. chain when I was there, so I wanted to <laughs> say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think there was. But knowing so, us. So you and your mom started backpacking together? Mm-hmm. Did you get gear and everything for you? Mm-hmm. So the sleeping bag, sleeping pad, backpack. Um, she had the pocket rocket or had gotten that after her first Stove. trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we invested in a jet boil. And okay. um, so I learned about REI when I was 
15 years old. So you had this kind of powerful combination of spending one-on-one time with your mom mm-hmm. in, the, in the wilderness yeah. and also this exposure to kind of true wilderness and insider's view of nature that's not the parking lot. That's a pretty yeah. powerful combo. Yeah. What do you think the most, uh, if you think back about your, maybe your first trip to Frozen Head with your mom, what are some of your memories that you think of now as kind of marrow memories, those that you've built on over years? Yeah. Um, I think of the, like, waking up in the morning and yeah. our people who were we were with, they were already cooking breakfast and had a fire going. And so, like, the smell of fire, even when we go car camping now, is like, oh, I'm home. Yeah, so it's it's almost like this muscle memory smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty And the amazing. waking up with a little bit of a brisk morning feel is mm. like, oh. Pretty sweet. Yeah. So, Drew, uh, you grew up fishing, especially with your dad in yeah, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then I think you said during one of your podcast episodes that your first foray into the camping and hiking world was Sarah on your first wedding anniversary, the tent for the wedding gift, of course. Yep. You said you cried when you saw <laughs> Mammoth Cave for the first yeah, time. Yeah. Um, so my question is, so how does a young Southern boy go from throwing the occasional bass trap into an Alabama <laughs> lake, get to the point of being soul-moved by the wilderness? Um, I mean, you think about the lakes and stuff, it's pretty, in Alabama especially, can be a little more like party-ish or like you don't really see the nature out there except for when you catch the fish. Because every time I caught a fish, I'd admire it and be like, this is awesome. So there's kind of like outdoor wreck and then there's wilderness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the wilderness part would be the fish. Like actually right. getting a fish and be like, this bass is awesome. So I don't I don't know. Like I started looking more into national parks when I around that time was our first year anniversary because of climbing and watching climbing movies. And I was like, we got a national park like. Four hours away. Let's go. We were also poor and needed something to do we for needed our something anniversary. Cheap to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was that moment like um, of, of feeling that emotion? And, and this was Mammoth Cave, but yeah. I, I would have imagined, given your story, that you may have felt that in any wilderness at the moment. What was that? Did it surprise you that you were moved by it like you yeah, were? Yeah, it was crazy. It was like huh. we were like just walking, and it's like this is a cool cave. <laughs> And everything. I mean, it's Mammoth Cave. It's really cool. But, like, the room opened up, and it was just a mass. It was like, I'm underground right now. Like, this is crazy. Like, this is just crazy. It's that this room is this big, and, like, this is just here. Like, and it's here naturally, and it's here, like, it's just what it is. So, are you it's saying like, part of that emotion like, came from just like, being surprised by it? Yeah, or? it's kind of like looking at art, like. You can okay. be moved by art that way huh, too. That's a great analogy. Um, like you look at a painting for long enough, you start to like maybe feel that little tinge in your corner of your yeah. eyes. Like I'm crying for some reason. Kind of seeing beyond the yeah the yeah. first image of it. Yeah. It, oh, it was a crazy experience. So you had mentioned um, climbing, of course, and it's impossible to have you guys on without talking about climbing. It's kind of become the central story to yeah, yeah. Uh, to your life in the outdoors. Let's talk a minute about Alex uh, Honnold. Yeah. Uh, he's a famous and much-storied free climber. You know, free climbing yeah, means free, climbing without safety free ropes. Free solo, yeah. Free soloing. Um, and you mentioned watching his epic movie, Free Solo. Yeah. And it having an early impact on you. 
how early are we talking about? Was this like a movie that you watched before you were ever interested? Like it just randomly came across or did you search it out? I just wanted to go see it because I knew it was like a National Geographic movie. Um, It was shot really nice. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be pretty to go look at because we went and saw it in IMAX. Is this early on in your kind of wilderness or your climbing yeah. It, this was pre-wilderness, really. So, it was February, so that, I think. Yeah. So this really was one of the things that really kind of turned you on. <laughs> yeah. To it. yeah, it like sparked it. And you saw it in the IMAX. I saw it in IMAX. What an incredible place to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially a movie about a guy climbing El Capitan, you know, 3,000 feet. El Capitan out, out in Yosemite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably um, the biggest rock wall there is in yeah, the world. Yeah, one of them, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was, yeah, I was moved, I was like, what what is this world like what is this climbing world and not even really about it wasn't even really about him climbing without a rope or anything it was just the culture i was like what is this what stood out to you about because you're right and i watched i've watched it several times now and in in preparation for our time Mm -hmm. together i watched it again the other night (laughs) um what was it about um the culture of climbing that really turned you on like I think people it, may not understand that. I know it's I most of what happens is before you get on the rock. Yeah, it's it's about like. I mean, he was living in a van, like that was his life. Yeah. He didn't have a house. That blew my mind a little <laughs> bit. Just the whole transitional. Yeah, he was cooking in his van, like you know, working out in his van. In his van, <laughs> yeah, go, he had the little uh, yeah, hang hangboard, 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 yeah. yeah. Um. So it was like bare minimum, and he's vegetarian too. So he was like bare minimum of what he is, mm-hmm. and he was like doing his—he was doing his thing, and he was trying to accomplish this huge goal of climbing this rock without a rope. And you know, one of the things he talked about in that yeah. movie, in terms of living in a van, was one of the things he loved. <laughs> I think he said he loved chasing the weather. Yeah, and so he <laughs> felt like. As hard as it was living in a van and the inconveniences that come with it, he loved the freedom of being able to see where the weather was good on a certain day and chasing an opportunity to be in wilderness. And yeah, it's easy to do in a van. Too. Yeah. Like, that's what climbers do. They start, like, where they're at right now. Like, I have friends. They're up in Maine, but they're going to make their way down towards the south. Mm-hmm. And, like, they may move with the season. Yeah. Um, like, we're start, like, climbers are starting to wake up right now because they're like, oh, this is our time. We're about to head out. Especially in the south. Especially in the south. Especially in the south. It's been hot and sweaty. June and July are not prime uh, climbing times in the south. It's Yeah, it's like time to go sin, time to go climb. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Like moves. So seeing him in van life was one (laughs) one of those kind of like cultural connections to climbing. What else did you recognize about his life kind of? off the rock that you found like really inviting. I like that. He was uncomfortable. Like when he went and bought that house, yeah, he was uncomfortable buying a fridge. He was like, uh, we just get the most bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. It was all very like the minimalistic style of it. Cause all his life was just climbing, you know, watching that movie and watching Alex and, and the crew members that filmed him were also people forget accomplished climbers. You can't get halfway up. El Capitan no, like, uh, and not be accomplished Jimmy, even with a camera yeah, in the back. Jimmy Chin, the director of that movie, yeah. is like, in his own regards, like one of the world's best yeah. climbers and mountaineers. Yeah. Right. Well, it reminded me uh, how spiritual, especially solo climbing, really is. Yeah. And the irony of that is I think I read where Alex um, is a self-proclaimed atheist. Mm-hmm. 
in watching that film and listening to him talk about his love and interest in the rock and in the wilderness, it struck me as an incredibly spiritual sport. As you have gotten in that, yeah. have you guys found it to be kind of this soul? There's a there's a definite vibe around the sport if you're in the right like factions of the sport. Okay, um, like it, depending on what group you're in, mm-hmm. some people are all about like, yeah, working hard. I'm gonna do all this, but other people are like, just like climbing. They just want to climb whatever is even if it's easy or hard. And you guys first got uh, interested in climbing uh, through climbing gyms, right? Indoor gyms? Yeah. Because it was kind of a controlled atmosphere? Yeah. I'm a bigger dude, so I didn't know if I could do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went and asked. Was it the movie that first made you go, I think I may want to try that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, he looked at me and said, I think I want to climb. I said, well, you're never going to freak was, solo. And you were like, you mean a ladder? Yeah. Like I was <laughs> I was searching for something because I was yeah. like wanting to get into maybe like mountain biking, but I was like, that's real expensive. Um, turns out climbing ended up pretty expensive too. The entry um, point into climbing was much cheaper yeah. than mountain biking though. Something I could go try. I was nervous though because I, I hover between like 280 and like 290. I'm a big, mm-hmm. bigger guy, so I was scared of like trying a extreme sport, you know? Um, so and, what, and what scared you the most? Like whether you could <laughs> physically do it or what other people would say? If I could physically pull myself up there, because mm-hmm. um, yeah. I was just nervous of like, because I didn't, I don't do activities. Like I don't, we were not active people. I was not time. active at all. This, you kind of went from zero to 100, it sounds like. I did, this yeah. Adventure. We went hiking after we started climbing, like. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, I wanted to go see, that was a safe environment to try it, you know, in, that was in our, the gym. That was our Valentine's Day date that year. <laughs> that was either going to be the best Valentine's ever or not. <laughs> well, we got a group on, so I approved. <laughs> and it yeah. gave us uh, three visits and a belay class. But I, I went in there first yeah. and I said, hey, can like big people climb? And they said, yeah, these ropes hold like thousands of pounds. You'll be fine. I was like, okay, and then I tried it. Um, Did you try it by yourself first, or did you, the first time we were together? We, we went, went together. together. We went together. And was that, uh, Sarah, did you watch this movie as well with him? Was this like a parallel journey, or did he have to kind of go, hey, I found this thing? Well, he had to convince me to go see the movie. Okay. So we had AMC Movie Pass thing, so we could see so many movies for free. Okay. So like, you know, let's go see it. We'll be fine. The whole time I'm sitting there reminding myself that Alex Honnold is still alive. <laughs> like the, he, this is an accomplishment of his. Yeah. This isn't um, like a memorial to him. Which, by the way, folks, one of the things we're talking about in this movie is that uh, Alex Honnold is the first climber to ever free climb solo El Capitan in Yosemite, mm-hmm. which means he climbed about 3,000 feet of sheer wa- rock wall. Granite. Granite. Yeah. Hard, hard climb. Yeah, too. very hard. highly technical, yeah. you know, standing on specks of uh, of rock in, in shoes uh, and made it all the way to the top with, with you know, very little margin of error. In four hours, right? In four yeah. hours, in four yeah. Hours. Something I mean, stupid like that that I'm like, oh my gosh. So it's an inspiring feat. So yeah, I just yeah. wanted to like, I just want to go see a movie about a climb, like this dude. I didn't even think of it in climbing. I don't even know. 
Yeah, he told me this. The film, from what I've heard, is shot so amazingly that it's so gorgeous. I want to see it while it's I really want to go see it because of like. That was a smart idea. Of like, yeah. of like Oscar buzz, that kind of thing. I was like, yeah. I'll have to go see this because maybe it might win an Oscar. Yeah. So after that, he started looking into okay, what are the climbing gyms in our area? Our gym has a location that's really close to us. Let's I go there. I have a problem of going zero to 100 when I research and stuff. Well, that uh, that was kind of my question <laughs> is how do you watch? Because obviously this movie, uh, Free Solo, is probably the most extreme, <laughs> highest epitome of the sport. Uh, how do you see know, something like that and go, I think I might want to climb? What is it, it about It was that? inspiring. As, it was so inspiring for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it made me want to go do something, and maybe I could. Go. Do you think back on the reason? I mean, was it the fact that he's pushing himself beyond his what he thinks he can do? What was the inspiring part of it for you? I think it was the nature part of it. It was like mm-hmm. beautiful rock wall. I think it was the what he accomplished, and I thought maybe a a big guy could go climb up high and have fun and try stuff like that too. Um, I think it was the nature and. Well, that's something we can't get away from because when we talk about the sport of climbing, there's a lot of climbing lingo. There's a ton of climbing (laughs) gear. Yeah. But really what, what I hear you guys keep coming back to though, is a love of wilderness and outdoors. And this sport happens to fit it. Yeah. And while we've been, so I was climbing as much as Drew when we first started. You were? Okay. And in, the, in the gym? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And since then, I have taken a step back. Um, I still love climbing. I love climbing easy things. Sure. That is my forte. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun, and I can enjoy it. Um, but this is a way that Drew has been able to pursue something that he's passionate about, and I get to enjoy it as well. So in the South – we're like our climbing areas are known for our approaches. So our hikes in, um, they're easily a mile most of the time. So I get my hike in and I get to support him in this process. So they're accessible really. Exactly. And, um, other places out West, you can just park and walk a little bit and you're in the climbing area here. Not so much. Um, but I'm able to be there for him and belay him and be that support. Um, well, he yeah, tries she's, harder. She's things. literally the one holding me up too. So there's like that weird deep connection. belaying you. Yeah, there's yeah. that connection there of like she's holding the rope, I'm up there. So there's a trust. Yeah, practice that happens. It's, yeah, we had a lot of arguments while we were learning <laughs> that trust process. <laughs> well, and let's take a moment and go back to that earlier question about being a couple, especially a married couple, in the outdoors where you are in that position of. Trusting each other, uh, having to meld this combination of technical know-how and kind of like spiritual oneness, have fun. I mean, those are two mm-hmm. different kind of like yeah, yeah. parts of the mind and body. And yeah. being a couple, it just sets you up for arguments, I would think. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. Fill me in. But how have you managed being a married couple to kind of figure out this growth period of the new sport and love of wilderness. I think part of it for me and my experience has been, um, and of course we both see our own individual therapist and they know a lot about 
our struggles as a couple <laughs> every once in a while. Sure. Yeah. But we've been able to take those arguments, especially when we were learning lead belaying. So what explain to people what that means. Yeah. So in climbing, when you first go into a gym, if you see ropes and the rope is already established, that's top roping. So someone can hook up to it. I mean, it's climb. anchored at the top and a rope runs yeah, through a couple yeah. carabiners and you have two ends of the rope at the ground. Yeah. So if you fall, you're never really It's about as safe yeah. as you can get. Okay. Yeah. In terms of rope climbing with lead climbing, you are taking the rope up with you and clipping as you go. So, um, you might be 10 feet until your next clip. Which means you're going to fall 20. Exactly. And you can't attach (laughs) to the wall to fall less maybe. So, um, I have, and I've self-proclaimed this. I have a lot of control issues. Um, and that is one of the situations where we've experienced that come out (laughs) in climbing. Um, Drew trust me to belay him very like obviously with his life when he's lead climbing. And then I enjoy more of the technical side of things. Has that brought about a, I don't want to invent problems for this <laughs> young marriage, but has that brought about stress of like one person's level of trust versus another's? I always trust. I pretty much always trust Sarah to like catch me and stuff. You don't have much choice when you're up there. I guess. No, no, no. And I don't, it might look like trust for me, but it's really a control thing of, I don't know what's happening below me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, and we've explored, exactly. And we've explored that too, as a couple. Um, yeah. But understanding that that's, that's where I get stressed in the outdoors he goes and leads belays, and then I'm able to top rope that same route. So it sounds like, in a way, it's uh, if it has brought about, you know, fractures or struggles within the relationship, it has the very least been the vehicle to move you through those. Yeah, and it's a acceptance too. Because um, again, you're up there on the rock. You <laughs> we got to know that the other person has us, and having faith in one another is. Uh, is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the technical side of um, using some climbing jargon again of cleaning an anchor. So once you've gone up, um, you're using your own gear to hold your anchor. Well, when you're out the, in the outdoors, you want to keep your gear. You've invested money in it. You want to take right, it back. You don't want to leave it on the rock. Yeah, exactly. And so, getting what you have off in a safe way of the process of cleaning it up um, is something that I really enjoy doing. And um, that's something that Drew gets a little overwhelmed with in those situations. So it works out perfectly. In what way? I just think different. Um, (laughs) I have troubles with like, um, how would you say it, Sarah? Like, I don't want to say that you struggle with like knots and stuff because you figure them out. Yeah. But it's, My brain gets overwhelmed. On the detail of things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The multiple steps, and I have to go in this order. Yeah. Drew tends to find a way around things. It always gets done. (laughs) So it It sounds like you guys are a pretty good team, though. Yeah, we found what works best for us and where we're strong. It seems like the wilderness can do one of two things. It can separate people and break people up because 
uh, it does take an understanding that <clears throat> everybody's different in their approach, mm-hmm. or yeah. it can kind of bring you together because you make this perfect team. Yeah. And it's a learning process, I think, right? It's it's great to have a teammate in all this, <laughs> you know. And we see a lot of partnerships in climbing of different people, um, and they're always friends. We don't see, a, like, we there's some couples out there, but there's not a whole lot of climbing couples. Right. Um that have gotten into the sport together. And so in that vein, we get to see each other grow in the sport. For me, it's been accepting that like, I'm not going to climb harder than Drew and I'm very competitive and that's sometimes hard for me, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's also doing really well. And so for me to be able to support him in that, it sounds like it's been it's, a great thing to happen on the front end of a relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. you would have had to gone through some of these challenges anyway, even <laughs> even if climbing in the wilderness was not the vehicle, you have to figure out that balance. And it seems like it's really yeah, yeah. framed the, the problems and framed the solutions well for you. Yeah, it just kind of threw everything that we needed to deal with <laughs> in our face right. within un, pretty much under a year Yeah, it's of weird. Yeah. You go figure it out. You want to start in a string sport, you go figure it out together. And we, <laughs> well, when like, you think about the things that might break a couple up, uh, it seems like you are kind of using wilderness and climbing in particular as an, an almost an inoculation against those things. Like mm-hmm. you're developing these understanding of each other and this practice of each of you being different but accepting. Those yep. are skill sets, Just if we're just talking about – being married that probably yeah. um go a long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember um of course in the state of Tennessee if you do premarital therapy then you get a discount on your um, marriage license because if you don't Man, do pre- that would have to be a big discount for me to do that, <laughs> but uh, go ahead. It wasn't very much, but we still were like, you know, <laughs> we did it. take what you can get. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't do premarital counseling, that extra money goes into a fund for the state for couples who are divorcing. And the court can order couples counseling. <laughs> Interesting. So either you do it on the front end or you do it on the back end. Well, hopefully, counseling at that point is not a climbing <laughs> because that could be exactly that could be a problem, life threatening. Um, but I remember our premarital therapist saying, "Well, how do you guys fight?" And I said, "Well, we sometimes say mean things, and then we walk away, <laughs> process for a minute, and we come back and we talk about what happened." Yeah. Um, and so. Drew being a social worker, me being a therapist at that time in training and now a therapist, um, that's kind of been our process. Of So how has outdoors and climbing in particular kind of made that work better? I'm a firm believer in the yours, mine, and ours approach of thinking about marriage. So we each have to have something that we're interested in individually, but we also have something have to have something that bonds us together that we can do and enjoy together. So that balance between respecting each other's kind of individual calling, but being able to share some of that dream. Yeah. It's all in climbing, right? We get to go camping with climbing. We get to go hiking. We get to sit outside in between going on routes. Um, We get to connect with other people who are passionate about climbing. Sarah loves camping. So like sometimes we'll just go camp. And she gets to do her thing, but I also enjoy it. And that's more her thing. Climbing is more my thing. Yeah. We, it's all like together. Yeah. And we have our other interests outside of the outdoors, but yeah, it just blends so well. It's like this 
perfect dance of sure our seems interests. Like it does, yeah. Yeah, of our interests and hobbies together. Yeah. So there's a central storyline in your journey um, that's really been about health, especially related to kind of weight mm-hmm. and, and, and physicalness. Um, both of you have spoken passionately uh, about wanting to change the narrative and the stereotype of the outdoors being only available to and accepting to quote-unquote fit people. Um, you're, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your podcast coming up, but you talk a lot about um, wanting to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about your health journey and your mission to change the narrative about what a hiker, a camper, and a climber looks like. Wow. Because it sort of seems that's, like that's become <laughs> yeah, yeah. a central theme. It, yeah. Can I, I'll go first. You go first. You're taking on much of the like forefront of this right now. Um, for when we started hiking, climbing, camping, um, that year we had decided that we're going to make some changes to our health. We're not going to do anything drastic. We'd done whole 30 the year before. Um, we didn't want to do that again. <laughs> and, uh, we started looking at, okay, we need to incorporate more water into our diet. We need to, um, be a little more active in our daily life, stuff like that. And then climbing happened. And so this was a way for us to be active um, and enjoying ourselves while bettering ourselves as well. And looking at it, um, and Drew can talk more about his experience with social media and his body image and stuff like that too. Um, There's not many people that are in the public eye that look like us. So if you're, if you're talking about, you know, who's not only who's on the cover of climber magazine, but who's in the REI advertisements. Exactly. What do they look like? Is that what we're talking about? REI carries plus sizes, but they don't carry them in their stores. You have to order them. Um, And I'm a size three X five foot nine woman. And you're talking about outdoor active wear, like, Clothes that you need to be able to make the outdoors enjoyable and efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have lucked out um, with the fact that Kohl's carries um, Nike now. Um, Academy finally is starting to carry plus size of Nike and Under Armour and Adidas. Um, But when I am thinking about those selections, it's a single rack in their store. Um, And so to say, oh, Go be active to someone who's plus size, whether it's in the outdoors or in a gym, for them to find active wear that's going to hold up and be comfortable and not cause irritation of their skin or whatever sure. issues that might come up. Because if we're talking about size. everything from underwear to cold nights to rain protection, <laughs> I mean, to enjoy the outdoors and true wilderness, not the quote unquote parking lot wilderness that we started with talking about. Yeah. Uh, efficient technical gear is really critical. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a problem of retailers like REI not providing those well, or are we talking about manufacturers not making them? I think it's, I, th- I believe that it leans more on manufacturers not making them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Lululemon, they just put out this big thing that they're extending their sizes to a size 20. Okay. What about the women who are size 22, 24, 26, up to 30 even, that are active? So your worry is that at some point, somebody's making the decision that a woman who is uh, 
plus 20 in that, in that example mm-hmm. is never going to be in the wilderness. So why make it? Exactly. Right? Um, it's funny. You, I was at a dinner earlier tonight and I was talking about this upcoming podcast and about your interest in both health, but also trying to be champions of changing the narrative about what people are supposed to look like in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And one of the women at the party said to me, do you know, and I couldn't believe she said this, do you know what REI can't make a, or can't, or doesn't provide, I forget her verbiage, I think it was doesn't provide, outdoor gear with curves. She goes, they just don't know how to deal with one, women, and two, like you said, she used the word adult women, and certainly if we say plus size women, but part of the issue that she raised, I couldn't believe she raised it because I knew we would be talking about it, was just the sense of technical active wear. Mm-hmm incorporating the curves of a woman. So partly we're talking about men and women, right, in terms of plus size, but we're also talking about gender issues. Yeah. So Drew, the way that Drew's body is shaped, he is plus size. You've said that's okay to say about you. Yeah, and and I wasn't sure what. (laughs) You can call me whatever. I wasn't sure what. uh, (laughs) I've been called every name. How how to use it. Um, But. Even larger sizes of harnesses and climbing gear Drew could fit. Okay. I yeah. had one option when I started that and was that, within and, our budget. And part of that's just do the difference between a female body and a male. Yeah. Body, especially yeah. as you get bigger. Well, and hip, the hips a, have a lot to do with sure. climbing harnesses. Of course. Um, and so Drew's straight hip. He can just throw even, it on and be good. Even when we got our new, like, backpacking backpacks we had to adjust a lot of stuff and put different straps on it so it would fit our bodies better yeah and so we kind of have like hybrid packs in a way like we had to yeah we have custom packs essentially thankfully (laughs) we have a dear friend that works at our rei here and so he worked with us to find okay this hip strap's not working let's try a different size this shoulder strap's not working let's try a smaller size or whatever yeah we need it so what is your message to both retailers in terms of availability and buying product, but maybe even especially manufacturers. What is your message to them about providing active wear for both the curves of women and two women and men being uh, bigger than the um, standard advertisement model? What's your message to them in terms of what you need? I think of um, Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. Like we're, we're here. We're wanting to buy these products. Yeah. I'm searching constantly. Um, we had a brand rep reach out to us and I was looking on their side. I'm like, I might be able to fit into this. I don't know. We'll see. Um, if they offered other sizes, people would buy it regardless of the money. I think of Lululemon, they charge God awful amounts of money way out of my budget for some leggings and people will buy it and people are buying it now that they've extended their sizes. Yeah. So, I make the big argument of like if I was if when I started climbing I had to Google can big people climb you know that, that was literally a, your search yeah inquiry yeah that shouldn't be a question like I should be able to that's why I throw myself out there so much because I want people to see kind of model model like what I can do maybe mm-hmm. you can do it too um, and that's kind of what my force of change is is like I want people I want it to be seen I want it to be like like in advertisements and in magazines and stuff like in our climbing culture, I would love to see a big guy or like a big woman, whatever, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) 
and um, enjoying it. Yeah, just being like, if I would have saw that like maybe two years ago, three years ago, or whatever, I would maybe have been in the sport earlier, you know? So we talked a minute bit about the part of the problem with not making active wear for women, irrespective of size, just the the, the shape of women, mm-hmm. and how that there's a, um, a paucity of gear mm-hmm. aimed at women. Uh, what do you find in terms of gear for men that are bigger guys? Um, are you finding it easier to get gear that works for you? Not, there's one harness I can buy that I like. It's in my budget and I know would fit me. Um, but after that, you kind of got to get custom sizes. But I, I don't. But men bodies are kind of all the same. Like I know a two X shirt's going to fit me. Sometimes depends. <laughs> Does it target? It doesn't. Um, <laughs> You can generalize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, size is different. Like this from is women. an outdoor brand, Cavu. It's a two X shirt. It fits. Mm-hmm. It's cool. You know, has Sasquatch on it. But, uh, <laughs> Let me ask you know. that. This is a little bit of an odd question, and I've got several to follow it that have been harder. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that in society we look at uh, plus size, for lack of a better term, for the moment, women different than plus size men. Or do you think that's true? And then my second question was, in the wilderness, do you think that's, is it harder for plus-size women than plus-size men to be accepted, find their track, find gear? I think of when we were trying to buy our sleeping bags. Yeah. And I just assumed I'm a broad-shouldered person. No matter what my weight has been in high school, when I was my smallest, I was broad-shouldered. Okay. Um, I was like... I'll probably end up with a men's bag because that's the body shape that works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew was like, yeah, I need something a little bit shorter because I'm not this certain height. That's this size of bag yeah. is rated for. Um, and he tried like one or two and was good. I tried like four or five, I think. Yeah. That's always seems to be the case. It's like Sarah has to do a lot more to like find the gear with me, it's like I can aim towards the general area and I'll be okay. Gotcha. Yeah. He, you mentioned earlier too, Drew, the like having a 2X shirt. Yeah. Pretty much from anywhere, you're going to be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. For me, in my, like, I think of, I love that Nike is doing plus size because I love their quality of their products. And one of their shirts in my size will fit completely different than another style in my size of the same brand. And so there's so many different variations of how clothes are made within the women's clothing world, um, depending on fit models, getting into like the production of, um, of, I don't want to say materials (laughs) of um, products. And looking at, oh, well, we're just going to slap this size on it. Your sizing for men is, oh, this 2X range is going to be between this many inches and this many inches. For women, there's no standard. And, and is that that's true of of not just wilderness attire, but attire in general? Attire, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can wear a size 20 jean from Old Navy, but they size their clothing up to make you feel better. <laughs> or down, I mean. So, so, it, yeah, go ahead. so if you're thinking, oh, I'm this size in this company because I feel good, and I go try on another 
size 20 jean in another company, it's going to fit, fit completely different, may not even fit. So your message, if an REI or a, or a, a, a Lands Inn or a Bass Pro or any of these outdoor retailers are listening, or certainly, uh, you know, Marmot or Patagonia or Columbia, mm-hmm. whatever the, the manufacturer, your message to them is, hey, you've got a customer base here. Don't mm-hmm. assume that because we may look like we're out of shape that we're not interested in the outdoors. Is yeah. that, exactly. do I have that message correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the, that's pretty much and, my message. And, and let us know that you're making our products. So put Pro- us, put us in the advertisements. Prana makes plus sizes. I didn't know until I was looking, I was like, they're not going to have my size. Lo and behold, they have a plus section. But all their advertisements is a bunch of like hot, hot models. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Skinny right. yoga women. Which so, Do you think that's one of the challenges is to break that stereotype of, if we look at a um, wilderness uh, advertisement, it's young people on a, Perfect day, uh, sitting around a beautiful fire, wearing the plaids and the beautiful, yeah. and everybody kind of looks beautiful. Yeah. So we'll, so even even what we know, I think if we think about wilderness and environmentalism and how liberal and open-minded and progressive we tend to think they are, one of the things that you're finding is that with gear and sales, we're not as progressive as we think. Yeah. A lot of outdoor companies have been making so much progress in terms of diversifying what they're advertising. We're seeing um, people of different sexualities, people of different races being promoted in their advertising. They're still in a term of product sizing straight sized. Right, They can go into any store and find a sizing that's going to work for them. So in the wilderness, the minority is the larger person, the plus size person. You're seeing more diversity in terms of race, more diversity in terms of sexual orientation in advertising, but are you saying that the minority still is how we look? At least from my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's great organizations that are working to change the narrative and that as well as us, Um, but it's just not there where it needs to be yet. Gotcha. And so uh, kind of a hard question, where do we balance or where do you guys balance outdoors and climbing as a health facilitator? Hey, we're going to eat differently. We're going to exercise differently and we're going to lose weight, whatever. How do you balance that calling versus the calling of no matter how we look, we have as much right to be impassioned and enjoy the outdoors. How do you balance those two? I mean, that's been our conversation for the past three uh, months, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's one and the same for me. Um, I do this because I want to show people they can do it. I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't know. If yeah. Well, it does because people have to see people that, quote, unquote, look like I them doing it. Yeah. I don't know how many women I've had reach out to either Drew, me via Drew or to me directly saying, One, I didn't think this was possible for me because of my size and seeing you do it. I'm like, oh, I can do this. Or powerful vehicle. Or other people have told me that I can't because of my size and you're proving them wrong. What does that feel like when you hear that from people? At first I was like, yes, like, come on, keep doing it. And then that same person went climbing for the first time 
And I was like, heck yeah, like you're doing it. You're doing what everyone has told you that you can't do because of something that is so arbitrary as a number on the scale. Yeah. And I've, we, Drew and I have been talking about this difference between like body positivity and body neutrality. And in addition to that, I've been learning more about health at every size. Um, so is the idea of body neutrality, I want to be the best me in the body I have versus a need to change it? Or how would you define that? So with body positivity, it's loving your body as it is. And um, the people that I follow, there's a lot of like gratitude for who they are and what they look like in the moment. With neutrality, it's a, it is what it is and I'm not going to be upset about it. But I also don't have to love everything about it. And that's okay, too. So I can still make the improvements I want to make without trading in my um, love of who I am. Mm-hmm. So you guys have a uh, a very successful podcast called Thinking Outside. And, Drew, you have an Instagram, uh, uh, Drew Climbs Walls. Yep. And it sounds like one of the things you're using both of these social media outlets for is to pitch the idea that everybody gets to access the outdoors and to be able to like hike, climb, go do, you know, get out there and do it. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are on your 13th episode. Um, what are some of the goals of your podcast? Cause I know you've done a lot of different, you know, subject matter and had some different guests. Do you have an overall goal for thinking outside for people to gather from it? Um, I like to see, I like to show the fun parts of camping and this stuff. Um, that's my favorite part of it is us kind of joking around and being like, remember this experience or like this is <laughs> kind of making memories. Yeah. Just showing our experience of being a couple that does this together. And we realized too, that we have a story to share and pretty multi-layered really. Yeah. How would you define the story? Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> well, I mean, you have different aspects, right? Yeah. You have a young married couple. You have a um, couple who saw themselves as never being able to access this, and then they said, well, hell no, that's not right. We're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and then you have this really um, kind of social media um, ambassadors for – an open climbing and open wilderness world for anybody. There's yeah. a pretty multi-layered to your story. Yeah. And so it's another vehicle for us to meet people where they're at. Yeah. Right? It's a way for us to communicate our experiences and what we're seeing. Um, and to verbalize what our goals are for changing the narrative. Um, and also, to be able to create like a community and say like, we're here. This is like, we're in this space as well. Cause it's interesting because wilderness has such a solitude, solo spiritual bent to it. Me in the wilderness. And, and that's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, but it's also has its own community, doesn't it? It yeah. has this phenomenal kind of social life going on about the wilderness. Has that been attractive to you guys? Yeah, we were also in this state of we're a newly married couple. Um, we 
of course, we're in the South, so we were trying to connect with others through church, and that just wasn't working for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a way for us to gain people into our circle. Um, and we were searching for that. We're like, okay, we need, it can't just be you and I, we need other people around us. Um, and getting into this community, we found that. What are some of the kind of positive and negative experience you you've had with the community, whether that's, um, really special people that have been inspiring both on social media and out in the woods with you. But also I'm, I imagine you may have had your fair share of, of uh, naysayers too. Um, What, what, what's been your experience with positive and negative? I get, I mean, through my social media, I get messages. uh, I wouldn't say daily, but like regularly, (laughs) regularly, like at least once a week, uh, someone being like, Hey man, I saw you doing this. This is amazing. You've more. You've made me want to try this. Um, or, hey man, I was feeling kind of down. Saw your video. I'm really psyched on climbing again. Wow. I'm ready to go. Um, l- lately though, I haven't really got a lot of hate. Um, <laughs> so that was earlier on, or yeah, a little bit, and uh, like a lot of people giving me tips and uh, like unwanted tips. I mean, yes, uh, <laughs> that happens. That happens. Uh, more frequently than we do. Yeah. I get comments being like, Hey man, you should uh, get closer to the wall. I'm like, I can't, I have like a gut in the way. Like I can't do that. <laughs> I'm close to the wall. Um, by the way. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And that's kind of like a, that's a no, no in the climbing world is like, you don't tell people how to climb or like, you don't do this. Um, and there's still idiots out there that do that. <laughs> um, but, so there's a respect I, for like the personal. Journey. Yeah, th- there was a little bit of like um, people being like, "Hey, man, that gear might not hold you," or that like, mm-hmm. or like, "Oh, you broke a hold off the wall," or like, Bleh. like, I don't know. So it sounds like the longer you've gone and you've kind of developed this narrative about you, yeah, on social media, yeah, people yeah. are. It sounds like people at least on the negative side, are seeing weight as an issue. Like on a positive side, they are. You might be getting people going, hey, you inspired me. Yeah, it's a weird trial. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds, in in a way, it's kind of good to start getting the idiotic, um, (laughs) helpful tips because it's kind of separate from, that almost makes you know that you've been successful in changing the narrative because those idiotic tips are happening (laughs) no matter who's in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of within our local community too, when we know people through climbing, we know them through climbing. And when recently with COVID shut down, there was a, like a little bit of disconnect and we're still kind of, I don't, I don't know if we want to say recovering, but we're either adjusting or managing that disconnect that happened during this six months that we weren't seeing people regularly. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. that's that's been a little difficult to deal with um, on a personal side because these are people that we used to see at least once or twice a week, and we went months without seeing. And so it's rekindling that and yeah. um, getting connected again. And we're in a much different social atmosphere now. And so those things have we've seen come up, and we're like, oh, this is not the person that I thought this was. Or mm-hmm. they might be saying the same thing about us. Um, and so there's been some wedges there that we're trying to navigate yeah. lately. A lot of my community is online, though. Like a lot yeah. of the climbers I talk to is online. Um, 
And that's there, great. And there's a big distinction between people who climb primarily in a gym, which is great, and then people who primarily primarily climb outdoors. And do you find that people that primarily climb in a gym are more oriented to like working out versus kind of the wilderness ethic? Or? Yeah, a lot yeah. of strength building uh-huh. um, or uh, pushing grades, so pushing the level that they're able to climb. Whereas I think of my experience where I was working on that and I was working on climbing harder. And the thing with gyms is that people who set the routes change. And so then setting styles change and grades change. And it was like a constant rabbit chase to figure out what am I really climbing? In um, terms of quantifying the the difficulty. Of the yeah, yeah. 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 And eventually I was like, you know what? I'll be there to bully you and I'll climb easy stuff. And that's, that's me and my journey. Now I go outdoors and I tell someone that, yeah, I just climbed this route. I led my first route outdoors. It was the simplest route in this area. And they're like, that is so cool. That's awesome. I'm psyched for you. Um, and there's a lot of camaraderie and, um, just support building. So, yeah. Those- just for doing the thing, you get a lot of support. Yeah. Just for making the effort. Yeah. yeah, I think you guys started this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. If it was this year, but you decided to do a 52 hike challenge. Mm-hmm. Was that 2020? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where, that's, where are we so uh, far? That was BC the, before COVID, <laughs> right? Un- understanding that, that was beyond your control. Yeah, where, where are you in that process? I think we're hike 14 or 15. Yeah, okay. we're in the teens, and then it got hot after <laughs> shutdown ended. So we've we were like totally going after it, and then like April hit, and we're like. Ah. Yeah. yeah, like the park shut down. Like yeah, we couldn't sure. do much. We even tried to go to some local parks um, in Columbia, just south of us, and we went to one, and it was like closed. And we're like, "There's nothing on any website that this place is closed." Yeah. But it is. If we go camping, though, we go hike. You yeah, know? sure. So it's still a it was, part of us. It was fun to have that challenge, but then like the world died. Yeah, collapsed. And, like, I think uh, we'll still accomplish it. It might not just be in the year time period. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, Do you have a favorite trail story or a favorite trail that you oh you could relay? Um, I'd say Looking Glass. Yeah, Looking Glass was really hard. Where's <laughs> so, Looking you Glass? Know, in uh, Pisco National Forest, oh, Looking Glass in Rock. North Carolina. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Looking Glass Rock. So we that felt like an accomplishment. Yeah, that was um, quite a feat. So we. Love Brevard, North Carolina. It's beautiful there. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have family that has a house there. And it's where we went on our honeymoon. Perfect. Um, and that trip, I brought like my cutesy boots that I have on tonight. <sighs> and I think maybe some flip-flops. Like I was not prepared for outdoors. Um, so to see the progress that we've Thinking made. Thinking about that, we did go to the most outdoors place for <laughs> our honeymoon. So it's like. Yeah, so maybe yeah. that was a precursor. Yeah, it was like a way precursor. Yeah. Yeah. Have there been any experiences outdoors that have? Because you've had a lot of experiences that have motivated you and kept you going and energized your soul. Have there been any uh, experiences in the outdoors that have made you question whether this is the right <laughs> thing for you, either as a couple or individually? Our Foster Falls trip. Yeah. 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 That was our Foster Falls is a state park here in Tennessee. Um, it was our first climbing trip after after COVID. COVID. Okay. We, shut down. Like it was in May, um, so parks were opening back up. We took the wrong uh, hike in to the area, um, 
I had a panic attack in the middle of it because I thought we were lost. Okay. <laughs> so we just said, you know what? And then we're I gonna... had to be the husband. That so it was dealt, kind of the dealt... opposite <laughs> feeling that you normally have in the wilderness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, complete opposite. So I had to deal with that as the husband, like, and yeah. all that. Help me regulate my breathing. And I was, like, excited to try a climbing route out there. But by the time we got to the climbing route and we found our way back and, like, we were good to go, like, my mental was not great. Because, you know enough to when when to say, hey, I'm not in the head. Yeah, I tried it, and I uh, was like, I made it past the first clip, first carabiner, and I was like, I'm I'm good. I'll bail. Like, <laughs> I'm just not in it today just because of all that. And it's completely okay. Yeah. I mean. And then there was the social pressure. We were also not in the right headspace from our hike in, and then we had people come up that we knew. Oh. And so. And then we had people waiting in line for the climbing route. And then, so there's a little pressure there. A little pressure. We had felt like this disconnect from our community and asked if people were going to be out there. No one responded. And then we saw people that we knew. And so it was, <laughs> there was a lot of stuff. And on our hike out, we we're like, this was not the day to climb. This was not about climbing. This was not about hiking. There's other stuff that yeah. we need to address. I, I'm happy I still tried it. Um, yeah. Even after all that. Well, I was going to ask you what you did after that hike to put it in a headspace that made. <laughs> Okay. I bought a GPS watch. Uh, <laughs> so we're not going to get lost anymore. Yeah, so we're not going to get lost. So there's a practical answer to some of these <laughs> yeah. existential questions. Well, and I think just giving us grace for that experience, too, is our first, like, we'd gone on a few hikes after Park started opening yeah, up again. Yeah, and I felt bad because I felt like I drug Sarah out there because I was like, <laughs> I got to go climb outdoors. It's the perfect time. And we were going to go meet my, my um, dad who lived nearby and... Um, so we're trying to do it in a certain time frame and, um, we've learned to not put ourselves in those boxes. Okay. So um, you approach going into the outdoors a little bit more wide open, less, do a little uh, more research, a little chiller, you know, okay. yeah. like a little, well, I just heard one say more research, one, one chiller. <laughs> so is that the combination, the balance that you yeah. two kind of strike with each other? I ain't talk my, <laughs> my attitude about things. Well, yeah. I have been working to lessen my control issues. So okay. and research I've, helps. Well, I've knowing been, what's going on. I've been trusting Planning. Drew more okay. to manage these things. Um, <laughs> and Drew did research, but then we got out there and we didn't have cell service. And so we couldn't refer back to what, what we found. had been but learning about the area. Yeah. So yeah. we know now that that was not a good <laughs> setup for us, um, but we've learned from it and have adjusted. And like the first then. thing I'm going to go try is I'm going to go try that route again. And we know how to get to it We now. know how to get there. Yeah. The easy way. And they do just, it again. And they just did trail work there. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, in wrapping up, there is no way, uh, especially for those of us so connected to the outdoors, uh, to ignore the crisis the environment is, is in, uh, be it global warming <laughs> or government policy or personal behavior. What are the most serious challenges facing the environment from your perspective of uh, being passionate outdoor enthusiasts and being out there, what are you seeing kind of boots on the ground that concerns you the most? Ooh, like policy changes within the government have been big. Um, it's starting to limit climbing access areas, also trail areas. Um, that's a big issue right now. In terms of overuse? Yeah, over overuse. And then like they're also selling off land. Mm-hmm. Um Patagonia just released a documentary I want to watch about that, but they're starting to sell up. Like, 
I don't think a lot of people know, but like the government's selling off a lot of federal property, a lot of federal property mm-hmm. or BLM lands, yep. uh, Bureau of Lands Management lands. Um, and, and the people, and, and also the people in those positions, have never been in those positions because they're appointed by tra- a, a trash leader. president. Understand. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> what would be uh, your message to? Let's talk partially about policy, but also about personal behavior. What do we need to see? Because ironically, on one hand, when we have overuse, it encourages problem behavior. Yeah. yeah. But on the other side of that argument. The only way, in my estimation, to get people to take wilderness seriously as far as ethics is concerned is to involve them in it. They have to have a personal stake in it. They have to understand it. They have to feel it. And if we don't get them out there, how do we expect them to take care of it? Exactly. What's your message to listeners about keeping the wilderness there for for generations ahead? Well, my harsh answer is pick up your damn trash. That's a good answer. (laughs) Yeah, pack (laughs) out your stuff. It's Well, it. It's so simple um, of a way to manage and be responsible for the area. And even if it means that you bring a day pack with you so that you can put your trash in it. Yeah. Like that's its only use. Just don't, don't leave your Mountain Dew bottle out there on the trail. Like what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> it's easier said than done sometimes because when we're looking at more people using um, public areas and these wonderful natural resources that we have, um, there's going to be people who aren't familiar with leave no trace principles and the ethics of being outside. Um, and so even if it means having more trash cans at trailheads, um, or providing, um, make it like, easier for people to do the right thing. Exactly. Providing like yeah, dog s- sacks for more signage, dog poop, yeah. right. right. More signage, um, Make it colorful and things like that that'll make it attractive. Because it's not attractive to carry trash around on a trail that you've been hiking all day. Our recent trip to the Smoky Mountains, um, there was a a plaque up at a place that we stopped at that said, like, Bob was here. And it was the story about someone who wrote their name inside of a building yeah. and they got, like, in trouble for it. And so it was this plaque, this, like, historical marker about... This guy named Bob getting in trouble for writing his name on this historic building. Um, And that, not that I'm one to go write my name and stuff, but it caught my attention. It Like, I read it, I spent time with it, and realized, oh, this is a great and creative way to manage this issue. Yeah. Um, Tell people to respect the land and the... Well, and it's a hard sell to to sell to somebody that part of your personal enjoyment is your protection of somebody else's enjoyment down the road. Yeah. Well, that's we a, all know that that's sell. an issue right now sure. in our country. But Well, you guys have a, a podcast that I want people to find, and it's called Thinking Outside. Uh, and you're getting ready to fire it back up. You have 13 yeah. episodes in. Um, you also have Instagram accounts that are both kind of fun and exciting to see your journey, but also opportunities to to see the challenges. And Drew, yours is Drew Climbs Walls at yep. Instagram. Yep. And Sarah, do you have one? Or are you guys kind of going off of Drew Climbs Walls? I don't post on it as okay. much, but I do have one. It's called The Strong Sarah with the an H. The Strong Sarah with an H. Okay. So people can find the podcast Thinking Outside and the Instagram handles Drew Climbs Walls and Strong Sarah with an H. Yes, the Strong Sarah. There's the another Strong, strong oh, Sarah. Oh, the Strong there. Sarah with yeah. an H. Okay. 
in wrapping up, uh, and thank you for joining me. It's been a great conversation. What I've heard from you is yeah. that you've got this great multi-layer story. You are a couple learning to enjoy the outdoors in a pretty intense way together. Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle sometimes because it's this balance between individual and and couple, uh, just mm-hmm. like the whole struggle between solo and community with the outdoors. So you're tackling that. You're tackling being bigger folks saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm comfortable in my body. Yeah, I'm trying to get healthier. But honestly, in the end, the wilderness is mine to have as much as it is to anyone else. And you've been great mo- role models for other people to get into climbing in particular, but to see themselves in the wilderness. Yeah. Right, and then of course the message to the um, outdoor community and retailers and manufacturers saying, "Hey, we've got you've got a base of customers out here who are dying to enjoy the wilderness, and uh, we'll buy your stuff. Yeah. Recognize us. We're here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with uh, points um, that you think are important? Don't be afraid to try something that you don't see." other people who look like you doing already. Mm-hmm. Most likely they're out there doing it. They so don't just assume because seen. you don't see them, they're not there. Exactly. Yep. Right. I thankfully learning more about social media and algorithms and all of that mess that is social media and the tool that it is. Um, there's people out there that look like us. We just didn't know they were there until we started searching. Because society didn't readily show it to you. Exactly. It sounds like there's a community. You, you guys aren't lone wolves in this community. There's a, no. There are a lot of people you interviewed. Uh, is it Jeremy Arndt? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeremy Arndt. Who climbs out of Austin, I think, yeah. who is kind of fighting the good fight in terms of yeah. that message. So there's a broader community out there than people think. Yeah. And if you just engage in local uh, climbing gyms, local uh, wilderness boards. Where else can people kind of get connected with a community that looks like, you know, inviting like they they need? Um, if in terms of climbing, try out different gyms in your area. Um, not all gyms are the same, and everyone's community is going to look different. Um, and you might need a different type of community at different times in your journey. That's a good point. Um, yeah. And then in terms of outdoors um with hiking and camping um there's unlikely hikers yeah that's a good unlikely hikers yeah so they've got a a website or it's an instagram Instagram. at least and Uh, they have a podcast as well excellent and they've been working with merrill to produce um non-gender specific shoes and stuff like that. So yeah, they're, they're they're doing good work in the hiking community. Yeah. Well the wilderness won't survive unless all of us all races, yep. body types, sexual orientation, uh, ideologies, unless all of us take care of it, it's not going to make yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys have been great to uh, travel out to the creek here. I know it's <laughs> been a drive for you. Uh, I'll look forward to maybe joining you. I used to climb a lot uh, as I'll well. I'll take you. you. You've got me excited to start again. I'll take you. We have to make up on our Bigfoot. Yeah, we got to go hunt Bigfoot. I got a Google alert earlier that you guys were supposed to be on this We were trip. supposed to go. <laughs> it's my fault, but we will go. So Drew and Sarah Holsey, thank you for joining me. Please look them up uh, on their podcast, Thinking Outside, and I appreciate you guys spending the time. Thanks for Thanks having us. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you've enjoyed your time on the creek. If you have any topics you'd like us to build a conversation around, 
drop by the Conversations on Cub Creek Facebook site. And while you're there looking through show notes and behind-the-scenes pictures, drop me a line with your thoughts. If you've enjoyed your time with us on the creek, please leave a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you.